Are you ready to study the scriptures? Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Today we're starting a new series called The Advent Conspiracy. Advent Conspiracy. And there's a ministry by this same title that I really love. Uh, I, was, I was doing some looking on their website. If you're, if you're interested in it, you can write it down. AdventConspiracy.org. Here's what they do. This is what's on their website. It says, Advent Conspiracy is a global movement of people and churches resisting the cultural Christmas narrative of consumption by choosing a revolutionary Christmas. Here's how they do it, through four things. They wor- through worshiping fully, spending less, giving more, and loving all. Spending less and giving more. Instead of consuming more. And so it's a fantastic thing. They're, 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 they're really doing great work. And so if you want to check them out. But I wanted to call this series The Advent Conspiracy. Because I, I think there's something in the phrase that we need to get in touch with as we look at the Christmas story in Jesus. In the way that God sent his son to the earth. There is a conspiracy of sorts. God is conspiring for us, not conspiring against us, but conspiring for us to replace all of the despair and the fear and the sadness and selfishness in our world and in our lives with hope and with joy, with peace and with love. So we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to talk about hope, peace, joy, and love. And how God wants to give us these in abundance. And he's making his way in our lives to do this. He's cultivating these gifts within us. Today we're going to talk about hope. We're going to talk about holding on to hope when there seems to be no hope. And we're going to look at the story in Luke chapter 1 the beginning story of how God sent his son into the world. But I want you to see that the whole narrative of the scripture, the storyline of scripture has to do with hope. And as we look at it, I want you to see that the story that God is writing in your life has to do with hope. With making sure that you can hold on to hope in the midst of pain or fear or despair. And so I was thinking about my kids, and I was getting ready to, for this message, I was thinking about my kids and what they want for Christmas, right? My, my little guy, Ethan, he's nine years old. He's going to turn 10 in January, and he wants a GoPro. Do you know what a GoPro is? A GoPro. It's like a camera that you mount on your helmet when you're mountain biking, or you can mount it on any, anything kind of, and, and you just, and it shows, and it films what you're doing. And it's, and it's really um, tough, and, and it won't break and stuff. And so in that regard, it would be great for him. It's just that he's nine. And I don't know, I, I don't know, I don't know that that hope is going to get him a GoPro this Christmas, but I can tell you this, hope is a powerful element in his life. It drives him. It, it's like he's obsessed. He's, he's so intense. He's incessantly talking about GoPros. I'm like, you're so, maybe next year. No, dad, I can, no, I really, this is really great. My, uh, my, my other son, Owen, he, he wants um, 
something else that I don't know what it is. It's called a Hogs Zero Gravity Laser Racer. Hogs Zero Gravity Laser Racer that drives all over the wall and the ceiling. I don't know if that's good for our house or not. But he wants this so bad, he's always talking about this thing. Now, I haven't personally seen it. Have you seen it, Amy? Okay, so my wife has actually seen it. You, you actually got it? Oh. No one tell Owen. He's not in here, but... but he, so this, so these, these two little guys, something about looking forward to this moment in Christmas is driving their lives. It's driving everything about what they think. They hope. Now, I think the, just your average everyday description or definition of hope is not what we're talking about here today. Um, it's not, it's, it's, we're, if, we, if we look at average definition, I was looking up some online, and here's kind of an average definition um, of hope. To want something to happen or be true and think that it could happen or be true. That's not what biblical hope is. Biblical hope is something different. Biblical hope has a different sort of power that is resonant within it. Christian hope is when God has promised something is going to happen, and we put our trust in that promise. That's what biblical hope is. Christian hope is a confidence that something will come to pass because God has promised it will come to pass. And you base your life on it. So we can look at the analogy of my little boys and we can say everything in their lives is sort of revolving around this, these two little presents. In, the same, in a similar manner, I think we could say that Christian hope revolves its entire life around who Jesus is as the hope of the world. And when your life revolves around that kind of hope, it's something that directs everything in your life. I'm not talking about kind of wishful thinking. Wishful thinking, you know, this kind of wishful thinking that maybe Lloyd Christmas does in Dumber and Dumber. Dumb and Dumber. Dumber. It's, there's a second one, it's Dumber and Dumber. You know, who, you know, have you ever seen this movie? I wouldn't recommend it. Marty saw it and he told me about this. And, uh, and, and Lloyd Christmas is a character in it and he's asking this, he's asking this girl, he says to her, do you think there's ever a chance that you could love me? And she says, one in a million. And he responds, so you're saying there's a chance this is kind of wishful thinking. Boy, I hope something can happen. I hope something does happen. This is not what we're talking about. There's a whole bunch of people right now hoping that Baylor gets into the Final Four college football. We got any Baylor fans in the room? Yeah. Oh. Sad, sad, sad. You got, you got, you, you got um, these three teams vying for being in the final four. It's the first year they've ever done it. Ohio State, TCU, and Baylor are all kind of on the bubble. You got Alabama and Oregon, and, uh, and what's the third one? Uh, F Florida State. Of course, they haven't lost a game, right? <laughs> but I digress. 
Some people, their lives revolve around college football. Some people. Some people, everything in their lives sort of revolves around this. If their teams win, they, 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 they feel great. If their teams lose, they, they're just down. This is not the kind of hope we're talking about. We're talking about something else. Luke chapter 1. Luke chapter 1, let's go there together and let's pray. Father, would you reveal the scriptures, make them come alive to us as we read them. Lord, do only what you can do in giving us grace to see and then grace to obey what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to look at Zechariah's expectation. Zechariah's expectation. You can write that into your notes. We'll begin here. God is orchestrating the events, the affairs of men, and he's about to bring his Messiah into the world. And so verse 5 says, when Herod was king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abiah, and his wife, Elizabeth, was also from the priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the Lord's commands and commandments and regulations. And they had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And they were both very old. I love this. In the whole narrative of the scripture, if you look across the landscape of all the scriptures, Old Testament and New Testament, you see this happen over and over again. God is giving old people babies. (laughs) Some of you are like, no, I, I... I don't, no, listen, this is an incredible thing. What God is doing throughout the scriptures is he's doing something that seems impossible. He's making it possible. What he does is he says, you think it's too late for you, but it's not. You think it's over for you. You think you're, you think you've just made so many mistakes and so many, it's, there's no hope for you. This is what exists in the minds of the people of our culture, even in the hearts and minds of people here this morning, this sense of it's too late for me. God, over and over in the scripture says, it's not true. It's not true. So here he is. They have no children. Elizabeth was unable to conceive and they were both very old. One day Zechariah was serving God in the temple. For his order was on duty that week. In other words, his order of priests. The way they had priests work in the temple in, in these days was they had shifts. And so kind of like using planning center, they would send messages out to the priests. And then the planning center is what we use to schedule all our, all our uh, volunteers and team members. And so, so, so they had a kind of a biblical planning center, and the priests would go on duty, and they knew when they were supposed to go on duty. And so he's, he's uh, on the order that was on duty that week. And as verse 9 says, as was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. So not only is he on duty in the, the temple, he is chosen by this spiritual process to go into the sanctuary and burn incense. And while the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying. While Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense altar. And Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him. But the angel said, Don't be afraid, Zechariah. And Zechariah said, well, stop scaring me. (laughs) Here's Zechariah. 
and he's overwhelmed and overtaken by this huge angel that comes in to the sanctuary. He's thinking, I'm just going to burn some incense here. I'm going to do my duty. I'm going to make sure that I take care of my responsibilities. And suddenly an angel shows up and, and suddenly he's overwhelmed by it. He's freaked out by it. He's not expecting it. This is the temple, right? Isn't this the temple where the presence of the Lord is supposed to dwell? Isn't this where God meets with people? Isn't this, is it? I find that often we don't live in the kind of expectancy that God wants us to, right? Oh, good section over here. I like this. I like this. Maybe some of you back here. Okay, all right, good. Not quite as good, but maybe as we get going. So here, here he is. He's not expecting this to happen. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and, you, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before birth. Wow. Miracle. And he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. Verse 17, he will be a man with the spirit and power of Elijah. Prophetic utterances that, that Zechariah would have known. That would, this would have made sense to him that Elijah would be the one, the spirit and power of Elijah would be the one who would usher in the Messiah. He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children. and He will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Now an angel appears, he speaks to him about all these things, tells him things that he knows full well is part of the process and story as, as a priest, as an old man, he's, he's heard these stories. And verse 19, here's his response, verse 18, here's his response. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure this will happen? Do you have any proof? Could I write down some things so that I'll know this will happen? And then he says, this is just the goal to say, I'm an old man now, you know. I mean, I don't know if you know this, but I'm old. I can't have any babies. And my wife, she's pretty, I mean, she's no spring chicken. <laughs> He's saying this to the angel. And the angel, verse 19, the angel said, uh, do you know who I am? <laughs> he essentially, Gabriel just says, that. he says, I am Gabriel, dude. I stand, and I stand in the very presence of God. Do you know who I am? Do you know what I can do? Gabriel, Gabriel said, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God, and it was he who sent me to bring you this good news. So I'm just going to want you to be quiet for a while now. No, that's really what he says. He says, verse 1, he says, but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born. <laughs> You're doing this, <laughs> you're going to do this. <laughs> For my words, I love this. It's such a play on words, right? You got no words because my words are going to come true. Come on. Come on. Sometimes I think our words are the hope killers. We say, uh, the, hey, hey, the self-talk we got going in here, that then we let slip out of our mouth, yeah. 
I'm big, you're small. Verse 21 says, Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the sanctuary, wondering why he was taking so long. And when he finally did come out, he couldn't speak to them. This is so awesome. Then they realized from his gestures and his silence that he must have seen a vision in the sanctuary. So he comes out, and he's like, he can't say anything. I was just doing this at a Christmas party. We were, like, doing uh, charades, like some version of charades, you know, and playing this game. What's that thing called? Heads... Heads up. It's a cool it's a cool little app. You should look it up. Heads up. You see you get more stuff out of this message than just Bible. <laughs> Heads up is an awesome app. You can play it at all your Christmas parties. So here's so so you, he comes out of the out of the sanctuary and he's like Finally, they figure out, oh, he saw something. Okay, great. When Zechariah's week of service in the temple was over, he returned home. Soon after, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and went into seclusion for five months. How kind the Lord is, she exclaimed. He has taken away my disgrace of having no children. Zechariah had been praying. He was on duty. He was taking care of his responsibilities, but he lost his expectancy. He lost his expectancy of God doing anything, even in the temple where he was burning incense, even the place where God was supposed to be, he knew God to be. He didn't think anything was going to happen. Now let me pause here and say God rewards obedient, dutiful um, stewardship, consistency. He, he loves that. There's something good about that, but that's not enough. There has to be hope. There has to be faith. There has to be expectancy. And so, and when prevent, presented with a vision, he wanted proof. He said, how can I be sure? And he expressed all the reasons why it wasn't possible. Most people in our culture live without expectancy. And many of them have, out of that lack of expectancy, have created false expectations of God and others. Because that's the other part of the problem, is Zechariah had certain expectations, but God was going to fulfill those expectations in his own way, not in the way Zechariah thought it would happen. So we tend to project onto God our false expectations, and we end up putting our hope in expectations instead of our hope in God, or our hope in Christ. If you look over to Romans, I'll just read it to you. Just write in, that, in, in your little side note there, sidebar, write Romans 8.32. Romans 8.32, check out what this says. Romans 8, of course, is a fabulous chapter, but here's what it says. It says, um, since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? 
what? What? What is, what is he saying? Since he gave us Christ, since Christ, his only son, he didn't spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. Well, isn't he going to give us everything else too? The, this is in the passage, verse 31 says, what should we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can be against us? Putting your hope in Christ is the thing that makes the difference in a life that is wrestling through such difficulty, pain, fear, struggle. Our hope is not in an outcome. As believers, our hope is in a person. Our hope is not in an outcome. It is in a person. And so putting your hope in a person is the struggle. This is the biblical definition of hope. Well, what are you saying, Pastor Ross? I want my kids to grow up and be successful and be, you know, well, and I don't want them to get sick. Of course. And I think the scriptures would confirm that that, that is a good thing and that God, that's what God wants for you. However, there, all these things happen in this world and slowly, little by little, we, we either lose hope or we put our hope in a, something other than Christ when we see that it's not working out just like we want it. I want to challenge you to put your hope in God regardless of what's going on around you. I want to challenge you to put your hope in Christ no matter what's happened to your marriage. I want you to think about putting your hope in Christ even though you have a child that's left the faith. Maybe think about putting your hope in Christ even though you've, you've wanted to be married by this time. You keep praying, you keep saying, God, I just, I, oh, I want to be married. I mean, listen, put your hope in Christ and then be the best steward you can be and expect that he's going to give you everything you need. This is, this, this is so, I mean, I understand if you're a single person and, and we're dealing with the marriage thing, this, this is really hard to do. I mean, you're sitting here saying, yeah, that's easy for you to say, you're married, you've got five kids, hey, it's awesome, but it's not all it's cracked up to be. No, I'm just saying, here's what I'm saying. What I'm saying is, with my wife on the front row, what I'm saying is, what I'm saying is, is, is each life has its own challenges. Every life has its own discouragements and struggles. And we tend to look at others and say, I want that. When in reality, what we need to do is put our hope in Christ. Because he's, he's leading us and guiding us. He's wanting to, to move us forward in our lives. And if we put our hope in an outcome, we get derailed. We look to other things. It's not, it's not what God wants for our lives. You may be tempted to think that all the people in the Bible were... <laughs> People who are really faith-filled. These are the really faith-filled people. No, Zechariah himself. He's, only, he's one of 18,000 of his kind of priests. He's just, a, he's just an average guy. Mary, who we're going to read about in just a second, she was a peasant girl. She was just a little Jewish family. She was just struggling to get along. She was poor. God chooses them. Chooses to work in them. Let's go to the next passage. Verse 26. Uh, whoops, <laughs> got to go to Luke. 
Luke one twenty six. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee. Gabriel's busy guy. To a virgin named Mary, and she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Oh, so much there. God's prophetic story coming to pass here in the in the lineage of David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. To which Mary res- com- responded, confused and disturbed. <laughs> Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor, David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. That's pretty cool. Never end. So he's telling this to a little peasant girl. Mary asked the angel, how will this happen? How will this happen? I am a virgin. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. What's more, what's more your relative Elizabeth was, has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, but she has conceived a son and is now in her sixth month. For the word of God will never fail. I want you to notice that even though God was maybe a little perturbed at Zechariah, he didn't pull back the promise. He didn't pull back the promise. Sometimes we think, oh, I screwed it up. He's going to pull back the promise. It's the power of repentance. It's the power of responding to him. His promise is going to stand firm. Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And then the angel left her. The difference between Mary's response and Zachariah's response. Mary's response was, how's this going to happen? Zachariah was, how can I be sure this is going to work? She, she had questions just like Zechariah. There's nothing wrong with questions. Nothing wrong with talking to God about questions. The questions you have. Mary's anticipation. Mary didn't expect what she, that she would see an angel, but she had an, an anticipation of what God was going to do. Mary's anticipation was God was doing something, and she wanted to know how it was going to happen. And so she didn't want proof. She just wanted information. (laughs) Mary didn't ask for proof. She just asked for info. (laughs) How's this going to (laughs) work? Yeah, we could go a long ways on that little discussion. We don't have time for that. Mary asked the same question, but from a different attitude of heart, and she responds the way Zachariah should have, which is, I am your servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Hey, that's a good prayer. That's a good prayer. This is your prayer. This is a prayer you should pray. You should write it in your little notes there. I am your servant. Let everything that you've said about me come true. And as soon as you say, you know what happens? Most of you, as soon as you say, let everything you've said about me come to you, you start saying, oh, but I kind of screwed this up and I kind of messed this up and oh, and I did this and I did that. I want to challenge you to let hope come alive in your heart today. 
how do you hold on to hope then? How do you hold on to hope? I'm going to give you three ideas just real quick. Number one, trust that God is working. You've got to trust that God is working when you don't see it. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, and in all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. I, I want to break down this verse a little bit. Trust in the Lord with all your what? Everything in here, trust him. And don't lean on your trust, understanding, right? Now, it doesn't say you can't have understanding. It doesn't say you can't have understanding. It just means you can't lean on it. It's not as good as a, of a foundation as God's words. You, gotta, you gotta, don't lean on what you think should happen. You may think, oh, this could happen, or this could happen, or this. You know, your mind goes all kinds of, in, in relationship to your job, your marriage, your kids, your, your, your life in general. You, you have all these plans, all these things that you may understand, but you lean not on those things. You, you, you lean on, the, on God's words. You trust him with all your heart, and you don't lean on your understanding, but in all your ways, submit. Ooh, strong word. Submit to him in everything. I meet a lot of people and they're praying for something and they, and they pray for their finances. They pray that God would give them a new job, but they aren't givers and they're not generous. Submit to God in all your ways and then he will make it straight. What I submit to you is often we submit to him only in the areas we really want him to do stuff in. So then you get another person and they're like, I, I, you know, I need my marriage healed. Um, <clears throat> and, so, and so they actually obey the Lord in all kinds of er other areas. And, and as he, they begin to submit in all these different areas, God begins to make the way clear. The problem is we focus on one area and then we dig down on that area and then, and then we're like, okay, I got to, you know, if you're struggling with money, I got to give, I got to become a giver, but then your marriage is a mess. Or I got to give because I need more money. And so then it becomes this weird thing where you're not hoping in Jesus, you're just trusting in the mechanism of I'm going to give so I can get some stuff. Oh, that's right. that, okay, so that doesn't work. Right. <laughs> I mean, what's weird is, okay, here's what's weird. And I'll just be real transparent with you. Actually, being a giver does work. <laughs> this is a crazy thing, but, it, but, but when you just use the mechanism instead of the heart change, the, 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 the process, the, the product that it's producing is short-lived. Yeah. You ever heard of the book called The Secret? The Secret, Oprah was all big on it. It's, it's all the, the secret, it, and, it, and it's all these biblical principles with no Bible and no Jesus. It'll work for a while. Because some of that stuff works, but it's short-term solutions. The only thing that works is putting your hope in the person of Jesus Christ and what he's promised he will do. And then making sure the word is alive in you as you, as you follow him. Hope, it, hope is often revealed, almost always revealed in the unseen. Hope is almost always revealed in the unseen. You know what the problem is? is you you got to stir up hope while you can't see what's coming. That's the problem. That's the struggle. 
How do you stir up hope? How does the Bible say we stir up faith? Faith, faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of God. That's what, that's what Romans says. There's something that we begin to stir up, but it happens in the realm of the unseen. 2 Corinthians 4, 17, look what it says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now look, now look, light and momentary troubles. I know a lot of people who have pretty heavy troubles. If their hope is in the one who is unseen, if their hope is in Jesus Christ himself, then these things are achieving an eternal glory. But there's a lot of people who just have troubles. Put your hope in Put your hope in Christ, and what is happening is something is being produced. God is working behind the scenes. He's working, and you don't see it. Hope dares to face the future with optimism. Hope dares to face the future with optimism. So many people I know, they just let the negativity of their life, of their surroundings, of their circumstances, they let it overtake them. It comes out their mouth. It revolves around their, their mind. They just go through this, this process where they're just... They just don't have any faith that God is going to do something. They look back at their history and they're, they're so discouraged because of where they are in life. Maybe you're sitting here this morning, you've lost somebody special. And it's damaged your hope. Maybe you've made a, a terrible mistake that haunts you still to this day. And it continues to chase you. Maybe you, maybe you've lost your job this week, and you're 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 thinking, sitting here thinking, yeah, this is great. What I need is a job. I want to encourage you that putting your trust in Christ in this moment is the only way that provision for your heart comes alive. You can get a job. You can go out and, and work. I, that's great, but there's something beyond just the money. There's something that God's trying to do in your soul. There's something that he's trying to call you to, a faith that he wants to build in you. In, even in your darkest moment, he wants you to face the future with optimism. Number two, here's what, I want, here's what you gotta do, I think, to hold on to hope. You, not only do you have to trust that he's already working, but you have to do what you know to do. You have to do what you know to do. I think you have to act like there's a reward. Matthew 25. Matthew 25 is the story of the parable of the talents. The master gives five talents to one guy, two talents to another guy, and one talent to the third guy. And he says, I want you to produce something while I'm gone. The guy with one, what does he do? He digs a ditch and he buries his talent. The guy with five, he produces five more. The guy with two, he produces two more. The master comes back and says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been, in, you've been faithful with a few things. Now I'm going to come put you in charge of many things. The guy with one talent comes to him and he says, all right, I was scared. You're a hard guy to work for. This is really tough. I, so I, here, here's my talent. I buried it. Here, here, I'm giving it back to you. You know what the master said to him? You wicked and lazy servant. Cast him into outer darkness. It's like this crazy thing. Like that seems a little harsh, don't you think? Here's your talent, a wicked and lazy servant. No, what you have to realize, what you have to realize is this. 
Hope is cultivated in the act of preparation. Hope is cultivated in the act of, rip, of preparation, of doing what you know to do. This is how hope comes alive. We don't, we don't live this life by our feelings or by sight, the Bible says. We don't live by sight. We live by faith. We live by faith in the Son of God. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Zechariah was consistent, he was steady, he loved God, and God had a surprise for him. Hey, imagine what he would have said, imagine what might have happened, think about this, what would have happened if Zechariah would have said, you know, I've been up to that temple, I've been up there a hundred times, I'm not going, I got stuff to do around the house. There's, a, there's something here that, that we have to, I think, engage in, that he was consistent, he was doing what he, what he knew to do, but he'd lost his expectation, and, and, and God showed up in this, in this moment. I, I like to call faith something um, that, that um, we've come to know around here as holy suspicion. It's suspicion. I think God might be working, but it's holy. Right? It's not suspicion that something bad's happening. It's suspicion that God is doing something good. And so you're like, okay, I'm working. I need, I don't, something's wrong with my job. My, the relationship with my boss is not working. I, I got to figure this out. I don't, wait a minute. I wonder if Jesus is working on this and I don't even know it. I think he might be. I really want to get married. I wonder if Jesus is already working on this. Nah. No, he is. He is. He's working on you. He's working on you. He's working on your, on your future spouse. Hope is the seedbed for faith to come alive in us. Hope determines our capability to steadily move forward. Hope becomes alive in us, and we begin to say, yes, I can take the next step because I think you're working. I believe in what you're doing. Number three, you have to keep your heart innocent if you're going to have hope, if you're going to hold on to hope. You have to refuse the, ex, the, uh, the cynicism of the expert. Refuse the cynicism of, oh, I know how this is going to work. I know how this is going to go down. Oh, I know. I, listen, Pastor Ross, you can tell me all you want about it. I, my life, it's messed up. I got problems. You, this, you don't even know how this works. Refuse the cynicism of the expert, of the, of the guy who thinks he knows it all. Mark 10 to 15 says, truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child. How, how do they receive it? Like a child. When you give a child a Christmas present, what do they do? If they're small enough, they play with the box. Hope is only possible in a childlike heart. It's really only possible in a childlike heart that's willing to say yes. To each person, God has given a measure of faith. Don't spoil it with cynicism. Or regret. Hey, can I tell you something about regret? Hope defends the heart against the pain of regret. Some of you are in this room and you're thinking about your past and you're so discouraged because something has happened. You have a deep regret about your past. You wish you would have done certain things at certain moments in your life and you look back and and it keeps you from having hope about the future. It keeps you bound. 
Regret keeps us from holding on to hope. It looks backwards instead of forwards. You know why the front, wheel, front windshield of a car is so big and the rear view mirror is so small? Because where you're going is so much more important than where you've been. <laughs> The front windshield is where you're headed. God has planned for you, a plan for you, a purpose for you. It's huge. Don't get consumed with looking in the rearview mirror. It's so small. It's not that important. Where you're going is so much more important, and God wants you to rid yourself of regret. We don't, and here's what I want to encourage you to do. Don't get bogged down in the way things are, because we know the way things are going to be. And, and, and I'm, I'm talking about the way life works. We as believers have faith that Christ is coming to restore and renew all things. And while we may be broken and beaten and suffering in this life, there may be moments where we have to wrestle through some very difficult circumstances. We know that Jesus is king and he will return and he will make all things new. This is the hope that we live in. And if we live in this hope, see, if you, if you don't have this hope, then you, don't, you have to take vengeance on people who have violated you because you don't think there's a judge coming. Somebody violates you, you have to take vengeance on them because your hope is uh, right here, right now. This is all I got. I got to make sure I exact judgment on them because nobody's going to hold them accountable. Someone will hold them accountable. That's how you can respond with peace, with love, with hope. You know what? You, you don't have to steal. We don't, we don't steal because we know God is a provider and because he will provide. We don't hate because we know that we are loved. If we don't understand how loved we are, we don't have, we don't have this hope to hang on to. And so we hate each other. Romans 5, 2 through 5 says, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. The, think about that. We boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Hope is intended, the intended result. God's intended result of perseverance and testing. His intention is that when you go through suffering and you, and you hold on to hope, that he's beginning to, to bring this hope to a place of, of assurance, of confidence. That this is, the, this is the hope that your life revolves around. It's the hope of, 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 the, of the Christ, the anointed one, the Son of God, the one who gave his life. Don't short-circuit the miraculous process of the Advent conspiracy. Don't short-circuit the process of God building hope in you because you're going through a hard time. Don't, don't give up because, oh my goodness, I don't know what to do. The question for you, where is your expectancy today? Are you full of skepticism or cynicism? Are you just so discouraged that you've stopped believing that Jesus is actually at work behind the scenes? Have you stopped looking for the clues of God's involvement? They're most likely all around you. Later in the passage, Mary and Zechariah both have a song. They both sing a song at the end. 
two different responses to God, but they both end up singing. That's God's plan for you. You're going to end up singing. That's his desire. I want you to put your stuff down. I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to just bow your head and I'm going to pray over you. All right? I want you to let the Holy Spirit just speak to you for a moment. Where's your hope placed? Where is your hope? Is it in God? Is it in Christ? Is it in His working behind the scenes? Is it in, is it in yourself? Is it in someone else? Is, is, it, is your hope found in your career? Where is your hope really found? I want to challenge you today to put your hope in Jesus. And maybe it's, maybe it's, maybe this is the first time you've ever done this. Maybe it's the, maybe it's the hundredth time. It doesn't matter. Today is a day that God wants to renew hope inside your heart. He wants to renew hope inside your mind. He wants to break down the, 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 the thoughts of accusation and the feeling, the emotions of regret. And he wants to wipe them away and he wants to free you right now. He wants to free you from these things. And he wants for hope to come alive and he wants you to grab onto it and say, yes, that's what I need. That's what I want. Would you let him wipe away, clear away space, <laughs> clear the space away of fear and anxiety and let hope take its place. Clear the space from all the regret and all the frustration, all the anger and let, let God Fill it with himself. Fill it with his spirit. Fill it with Jesus, who is the hope of the world. I wonder if you just, maybe all across the room, open your hands up. Maybe you just have to open them up on, on your lap. Maybe just palms up towards heaven, kind of in a posture of both um, surrender and receiving. Because <laughs> sometimes you got to let go <laughs> of what's in your hand before you can receive what God wants to give you. So let's do that together. Come on, everybody. Lord, we let go of our lives. We let go of our worries. We let go of our concerns. We let go of our frustrations. We let go of our hurts. We let go of our past. We let go of our regrets. We let go of our mistakes. We repent. We repent now. And we demonstrate that repentance by letting go of our past. We say that we're sorry for trying to do things our own way and we ask you, Lord, to restore our lives. Restore hope. Pour yourself into us. Bring your life to bear upon our lives. <laughs> Let your life come in abundantly so that we can trust in the one who is without measure. Trust in the one who is beyond what we can ask for or even think. We trust you, Lord. Forgive us. Heal us now. Heal every heart. Heal every wound. In Jesus' name.